heart of darkness of corporate beer. It's apocalypse now for Ballast Point. Heineken using 3D printing to have on-demand brewery parts. And the results are in from NABA. Tyler brought some beer and a heart full of hate. Strap in, people. It's going to be a long one. It's all beer. Welcome to It's All Beer, craft beer news and the assholes of the week in the beer industry. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. How are you doing today, Tyler? Uh, pretty good. How are you, Jeremy? Well, so we often uh, uh, begin this show with uh, with discussing uh, what beer we're drinking, but I got to admit, I'm a little bit hesitant because there's some gravitas behind today's selection. So, Tyler, why don't you tell us what we're drinking? So, we're drinking uh, the Flyline Vienna Lager from Payette Brewing here in Boise. Uh, one of my favorite beers uh, locally. Oddly enough, the beer that got this podcast name, it's all beer. Well, before we get into, so before we get too far into that, I want to take a moment and just like uh, and just take a minute to appreciate this beer. It's got a nice light, slightly caramel nose. It does. It's a really refreshing, like malt forward, doughy, caramel, toasty bread. Just a hint of bitterness to kind of balance it out. Clean finishing. It is one of my favorite. Just, it's a patio pounder. It really is. It's it. It's one of the few beers at all, even locally or otherwise, that I will often buy by the six pack just for boating, camping, what have you. So, but we didn't bring it because this is a mutually. Uh, we're not just sitting here jerking off Payette. There is a reason for this, Tyler. <laughs> so let's. Flashback a couple years ago when both Jeremy and I are working at a local homebrew store together. Uh, the results of NABA, the North American Beer Awards, come out as we're sitting at the tap room. Just for just for clarification, uh, we should describe the uh, the North American uh, Brewers Association Awards. Um, they are held every year. It's one of the biggest beer competitions in the country. I think number two or number three, I think. I, two on the West Coast uh, next to... Of course, Great American Beer Festival. And it's held in Idaho Falls every year, which is just fucking bizarre. Mormon capital. Um, and it's uh, bookend by a, a great big beer festival uh, out there, but the uh, but the Brewing Awards are one of the biggest in the nation. We, they get uh, brews from all over the country, now all over the world. They're getting rather full of themselves because they renamed them. What, what do they rename themselves again? Uh, International Beer Awards. Hold on, let me look. Hashtag they'll always be NABA to me. The International Beer Awards Excellence in Brewing. That's way too fucking long. Yeah, and the funny thing was is we were looking at the awards and they still say the NABA Award. So they're 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 trying to rebrand themselves and it's adorable. But anyway, so big beer competition. Um, Flyline has been entered several different times. So they they marketed it as a Vienna Lager, um, and that year we were going through and we looked up and we saw oh the cream ale category. Payette Brewing uh, Flyline won, I want to say it was a silver or gold medal in cream ale. I want to say it was a gold in cream ale because yeah. we were a little bit surprised that there were, because there were other locally made uh, cream ales. Um, Laughing Dog, Dog comes to mind immediately. Their their cream ale is almost a, a, sta- is a, is a standard here in Idaho. So we then walk up to the shelf, grab a Laughing Dog cream ale. A Payette Flyline, and then uh, another Vienna Lager, just because we want to compare all of them side by side. The Flyline pours on a lot lighter color than a typical Vienna Lager. Uh, we ended up going through, and 
starting to look up, okay, well, what's the difference between a Vienna lager and a cream ale? Okay, what's the difference between a cream ale and a blonde ale? And finally, after about 45 minutes of doing this, I was like, all these styles are basically the fucking same. Fuck it. It's all beer. <laughs> I do remember that you... Because, well, I learned a couple of things that day. First of all, um, I learned annoyingly that a cream ale does not necessarily be... Is not necessarily made from ale yeast, which is... Previous to that, I had I had thought that beer can basically be divided into two categories. Ale and lager. This was the first... Uh, style that I learned about, which is which said was because the pre-prohibition style was using a lager yeast. After that, they typically transitioned to an ale yeast. Correct. This is the first style I learned you could make with either one, which was at the time annoying to me. And then, yeah, we started looking at the style between. Okay, well, what's the difference between a cream ale and a Vienna lager exactly? And the answer was not. A ton when you get right and down to so it. And then so we added because a cream ale doesn't necessarily need the adjunct of like lactose or corn uh, to give it the mouthfeel. So we're like, okay, what's the difference between a cream ale and a blonde ale? Basically nothing. Yeah, essentially. Well, I think typically a cream ale should be, as I understand the style now, a cream ale should be more like a flavorful domestic where a blonde ale should have some additional qualities. But you're right. There's not... When you look at the style guidelines, especially with the uh, with the way the NABA um, lays them down, there's a lot of crossover. Mm-hmm. So, time to transition to the next chapter. Congratulations to all the breweries that won medals at NABA. Awesome for you guys. Uh, Flyline ended up winning a silver medal. And Jeremy, would you like to guess what it won? Well, you already told me, but uh, you know, it was a Dortmunder export, right? Yeah, huh? And I'm like, what the fuck? How can one beer be a Vienna Lager, a Cream Ale, and a Dortmunder Export? To me, this is why I have such a big problem with big beer competitions and style guidelines in general is it in your head, you just think, oh, this beer is this style. That's what it is. But to give yourself the best advantage, you can enter whatever beer into whatever category. If I wanted to enter an American lager into an oatmeal stout, stout category, I could. I mean, you could. You'd be immediately disqualified with that big of a uh, discrepancy. But, yes, there is. You, you are hitting it pretty close. There is an art to entering beer in competitions. It's not so much a... Not only are you trying to enter the best beer you can, but you're trying to enter it into whatever category you think best fits. Whatever you can best cram in. Now, it's, I don't know, it's easy It's easy for me to, like, sit here and judge it, you know, the Monday morning quarterbacks, whatever you want to call it. Um, I would say this is different from a Dortmunder export because it's lacking some of the malt quality, and it doesn't have that crisp lager finish that I would look for in a Dortmunder export, but... You're looking up the style right now, so... You know I am. Okay, so the style guideline says, A pale, well-balanced, smooth German lager that is slightly stronger than the average beer with a moderate body and mild aromatic hop and malt character. Uh, There should be low to medium hop aroma, typically floral, spicy, or herbal in character. Moderate, grainy, sweet malt aroma. Clean fermentation profile. A slightly sulfury note at the start that dissipates is not a fault, neither is a low background note of DMS. Uh, light gold to deep golden, golden color, clear, persistent white head, um, 
Flavor should be neither grainy, sweet, malt, nor floral, spicy, herbal, uh, hops dominant, but both are in good balance with a touch of malty sweetness providing a smooth yet crispy, refreshing beer. I mean, I would chalk this up to two different things. Number one, well, first of all, let us let us establish right now that the BJCP is not the guideline that NABA uses. They use their own guideline, which is probably for the best because the BJCP still is rocking their 2015 guidelines. They haven't uh, updated in almost four years. And uh, a lot of shit's happened in four years because we're doing uh, classes uh, to get people ready to do the BJCP uh, test. And a lot of the beers that they mention here no longer exist. So the industry is moving a lot faster than these cats. But I would chalk this up to two things. Number one, there not being a lot of competition in this particular style. I don't. I didn't know if Chakanad actually uh, um, entered anything, but they would probably have a better example. I don't think there's a good understanding of what this style is supposed to be. But and I think it is a good fit for this style. I I more agree with this metal than I did with the cream ale metal. Yeah. So it's more just me ranting and raving. Uh, the NABA style, I just pulled it up similar to the BJCP. Um, so I, I think the judges did a good job there identifying this one. But I'm still just a little bit bitter about how beers get manipulated for competition. <laughs> so... I don't know. In Tyler world, how would this how would this go? Would you be forced to enter the the category with which you advertise yourself or what? Yes, I would. That th- that would make it just the best. But then you have a company like Lagunitas that just everything is an American fucking strong ale. Well, and there's some things where you just kind of go, "Well, we just threw this shit together and we're going to enter it as a blank." Yeah. I mean, I mean, you've actually called me into your brewery and said, gave me a sample and said, what should we enter this as? Oh, 100%. Because <laughs> when you enter a beer, you, you know you've got to try to match any style. Uh, not necessarily the style that you brewed it for or marketed it as, but the style that will best fit the competition. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, on that note, Jeremy, what do you have? <laughs> Well, first of all, I'll just offer a quick congratulations to the local breweries that did uh, get a medal from NABA. Boise Brewing walked away with some, um, as as per usual. Uh, Bella did. Um, County Line won one, I believe, so good for them. Um, I think I saw uh, oh, Mad Swede won, won one on there. Am I missing anybody? Payette. Payette. We were just, of course, just talking about them. Uh, Ten Barrel, if you consider them local. Well, yeah, I mean... I know just enough nice people there that well done Ten Barrel. I mean your parent company are assholes, but but when they do enter their beers in, it 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 distincts between Ten Barrel Bend, Ten Barrel Portland, and Ten Barrel Boise. Fair enough. So so um, so yeah, Sean Kelso does spectacular work here in Boise. Uh, unfortunately, the parent company are run by assholes, but well done, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> you are awesome. You can keep continue making good beer. All right, corporate. This is a nice segue. Corporate beer sucks news now. <laughs> All right. It's not AB InBev this time. No, it's not. So it it's no real surprise, I think, that corporate acquisitions have become a bit of a theme here on It's All Beer. Um, it just because this industry is going through such 
major changes and it's, it's you make beer you sell beer you sell out and there is money to be made you know there let's let's face it the brewery we were we were about to talk about got bought for a billion fucking dollars and then <laughs> the company that bought them acknowledged that they overpaid by there, about a billion dollars and have been taking back some of that money there is some buyer's remorse as you will actually go back to episode two of this podcast we uh we talked about uh when they uh underwrote what 200 million dollars they said they'd overpaid for uh for ballast point and i think they did 150 at some time before that so i think all in all they've pulled back like 300 million dollars bottom line it's pretty much clear that Constellation was rethinking uh, their acquisition of Ballast Point. So, what's been happening in the uh, interim? Well, it turns out um, kind of some shitty things. Um, an article from uh, Good Beer Hunting, uh, written by Brian Roth, it tells an interesting story. Uh, it follows the departure of uh, James Murray, the soon-to-be former vice president of Ballast Point. Now, vice president of brewing operations, right? Vice president of brewing operations, correct, yes. Um He's a departing employee, so maybe we take a certain amount of what he says with a grain of salt. But on the other hand, it's an interesting article, which it starts off, if you're a sensitive person, I hope you have tissues uh, uh, nearby because it's the article is heartbreaking when it starts off with. Uh, check You can check out our Twitter feed. I've got it posted there, at uh, its all beer one. But uh, it begins with him relating the story of thousands of uh, gallons of uh, beer out of their barrel age program just being dumped because the uh, program was shutting down. Which, to me, I'm like, why the fuck aren't you just kegging and bottling that off and just trying to sell it for what you can? That's kind of... I had the same reaction. Like, just do something with it. Just slowly... Stop putting more barrels in and just start phasing those barrels out and sell what you can. But it sounds like this place is closing and these barrels need to go. There's no... There's a lot of these, you, you get this impression that there's a lot of decisions being made at a higher level by people who don't give a shit about craft beer, which is kind of the point of this whole article. Um, but it starts off there. The article goes on to talk about how the company is stripping away employee perks, like uh, they would give uh, $100 gift certificates to employees for the uh, for the homebrew store, which actually was the foundation of Ballast Point to begin with, Homebrew Mart. And... Um, they actually, for a time, eliminated shift pints, which, listen, nope. I don't know about you, but I've worked in craft beer long enough. Your shift pint is almost our version of health insurance. Because <laughs> we don't get fucking health insurance. I mean, we don't get much in this industry. I mean, we get paid not a lot. And, Pennies and beer. Yeah, but we want our fucking beer. We get because paid. otherwise we just have pennies. <laughs> so... Your shift pint, that's, that's fucking important. I, I, I hold my shift pint, uh, uh, it's important to me. I get, and I think it is to you too. I think anybody, oh, yeah. who, anyone in the industry, that's bigger than you think. But they, they started to eliminate that, which I think caused a rebellion at Ballast Point. That's a dick measuring contest that you're gonna <laughs> lose. Because your dick is not as long as beer. <laughs> I will bitch slap you with a hose. Um... Mur- uh, Murray also described a purge of senior staff, including the CEO, the COO, who was also handily the the, the head brewer, and the CCO. So, the uh, basically the entire senior staff of Ballast Point, at one point or another, was either urged out, retired, or left from other some other pretext. Um, and there's a few uh, there's a few 
quotes from uh, Constellation through this whole article. Uh, that it, I don't know. This sounds like they want to make this sound like business as usual. Uh, they have some good corporate quotes. I'll just read one here. Um, anyway, uh, Constellation Brands remains committed to uh, supporting the staff who helped us get ungodly rich and by support we mean kick them into the ground and then steal their wallet we also remain committed to destroying everything you might have ever liked about this acquisition ever uh, this is not an actual quote but i can read fucking subtext <laughs> it's all very corporate we believe in blah 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 good beer blah 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 we're gonna fuck you over the funny thing is is that in this article ab inbev comes out looking kind of good ab inbev is basically our whipping boy on this podcast and their local subsidiary 10 barrel um but for all their faults um it sounds like it they mentioned the article that they the ab InBev's policy regarding their craft brew acquisitions is basically a very hands-off policy which i think when they first started making craft beer acquisitions they had to take that hands-off policy because I mean, when they purchased Goose Island, everyone's like, oh, they're going to destroy it. They're going to destroy it. They're going to destroy it. Oh, they didn't destroy it. Then when they bought a Legion, oh, they're going to destroy it. They're going to... And then finally people were like, oh, I guess they aren't destroying this. So they had to take the hands off or else everyone was just going to be like, see, told you. True. Although I do know, I, I keep on running into people who absolutely insist that as soon as AB InBev acquired X Brewery, Everything went to shit, and I don't know if that's... I honestly can't really tell the difference. It's the same thing as people say they don't drink beer out of a can because they can taste the can. Exactly, which they're not going to be able to drink a lot of beer in the near future, but um, they're, But you're right. They, it, they almost had to, but you would think that Constellation would follow the same basic idea because... I think people would, would go into this acquisition with the same attitude. Like, oh my god, they just got bought by Constellation Brands. Now everything's going to go to hell. And in this case, Constellation sort of kind of proved them right. Because when I do remember Ballast Point here being a, 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 a really cool force for like just experimental craft beer. And they've all but disappeared from the market at this point in time. I can still run across some Sculpin or... yeah. Also, I think more people, when that sale happened, went, holy shit, Bowles Point sold for that much? I know their prices were expensive, but they sold for that much? There is, yeah, Bowles Point was also a little bit expensive, yes. So, I think that was part of the reason why people weren't like, oh, they're going to run them into the ground, because they were just like, holy shit, I can't get over that price tag. Uh, and I can't remember, I just kind of skimmed through the article, but I saw that they had talked in that article that you know they were citing slower sales and that they didn't have the sales force to push you know barrel age and one-off beers like that and i'm like okay instead of shuttering all this double down on it well as i under now as i read the article it wasn't so much that they didn't have the staff is that they fired the staff that would be well or laid off or right-sized as the corporate language that they uh they bent them over a barrel and uh and Showed them a barrel-aged beer. And serviced the account. <laughs> um, no, they more or less got rid of them, and then all of the uh, marketing came from Constellation itself. And Constellation wants to sell Corona and fucking Modelo, not a barrel-aged sour that they don't even know how to approach. So it wasn't that they didn't have the people to sell it. It's that they got rid of the people who could sell it. And then they go, well, this shit's not selling, and then it went away, which is possibly what they were going for. Um but I don't know. It 
it makes me ask the question, can't, there's obviously a difference between craft and corporate, and can the two ever coexist? Uh, we, we briefly touched on AB InBev. I, I got to say, though, as much shit as we give them, and they deserve every single bit of it. And every, more. Every little nugget of shit hanging off that little ass crack. They deserve that and more because they are assholes. Um, but the people here locally that work for Ten Barrel, they, I think, are one of the best paid... Uh, people in the industry, and they do get to work with cool shit. I was once talking at NABA last year um, with uh, Sean Kelso, and I think it was the um, she worked for I don't remember her name, but she worked for the the high side or whatever their shitty their 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 craft division. Oh, was. the high end, high end. Um, they were talking about the stuff they get to experiment with, and they get to experiment with ingredients that are just way beyond the, the realm of most... Haven't rep- even hit market, really. Right. I mean, they get to... Well, first of all, they get to experiment with hops that no one else gets because they own them all. But they also get to experiment with ingredients that are out of range of most uh, craft brewers because they're just expensive. Or are being tested and... Or being tested or something else. So, I mean, that's... I mean that's if you're if you're in that position that's kind of cool and they I honestly think that they do take care of their people in that position for now we'll see how that turns out but uh, it's it's interesting um, I did want to talk about I mean the where what we're seeing here though is a clash of like the small craft beer versus corporate and I see three inherent contradictions number one. Um, the very nature of craft beer is inefficiency. We've figured out how to make beer on the cheap. We've figured out how to mass produce thousands and thousands of barrels of beer that has just enough alcohol to make you, you know, lose connection with the worst parts of life. Craft beer is cool because it's handcrafted and inefficient. Um, and that urge of a, from a corporation to try to streamline that, to try to squeeze more out of it is... I mean, is a contradiction, I believe. What do you think? Yes, uh, yes and no. I mean, the nice part, and you asked most brewers who were around when a company got bought by another company, is it was, they were sold on the, well, now we can make better quality beer. We'll have access to better labs. We'll have access to, if we have an infection, we can find out why. And, this, and you did find out why. <laughs> <laughs> but on a small brewery budget or a mid-sized brewery budget, you're not going to have access to that style of like quality resources. Correct. But then again, if the beer is good, don't fix it. Fair enough. Uh, or, I mean, there is also, you got to give the big boys this. You have a Bud Light in Seattle, Texas, or New York. It all tastes the same. Well, that's and that's my point about we figured out how to make the same beer anywhere in the country efficiently. The whole thing about craft beer is the fact that it is inefficient. Sometimes it's like it's this. It's kind of cool for the same reason that a uh, that listening to records is better than an MP3. You almost like it because of the flaws or mm-hmm. because of the the white noise in the background. Exactly. You like it has character that just is missing from the mass-produced beer. The other thing I see is culture. Craft beer is fun, exciting, prone to experimentation, and run by dreamers, lunatics, and other forms of crazy people. That's not, that does not mesh well with corporate America. 
No, they don't want you experimenting. They they want to just do what they always do, hit the meaty part of the bell curve and move on. Right, they're there for all the money and and I think craft beer takes up the uh takes up the ends where you go, "Hey, we just we threw these two things together. What do you think? Oh, that tastes like horse shit. Well, we won't do that again. We'll try this. What do you think? Oh, that's delicious. Well, we'll keep making that. Uh-huh. And the last thing is I is community. We're seeing a return of the neighborhood brewery, a place where you can just chat with the owner. The head brewer is already drunk at the end of the bar. The beer tender knows you. It's just not something a corporation can replicate with any sort of honesty. No, and I think another hit on Ballast Point here was they were already on the pricier side. So with how many breweries are popping up now and you walk into a local bottle shop and for the price that you're going to pay for a Ballast Point beer, you can buy two or three other beers that are just as good, if not better quality. Yeah, you're right. Well, and there was a time when I felt better about, you know, throwing out an extra dollar or two for Ballast Point because they were, now they were mostly doing we took a style, we added this, and look how cool it is. They had their sculpin, they had grapefruit sculpin, or habanero sculpin, or pineapple sculpin, and whatever shit they added to sculpin. They had their, you know, pumpkin piper down. They added vanilla to, uh, to uh, what the fuck's that porter? Victory is Thank you. Um, or mint, or... Exactly. They just kept on, you know, they which was cool, but A, I think kind of, they it ran its course, and B... Now I don't think they're going to do. They're not doing that anymore. I'm not seeing them as much. Yeah. And so yeah, there's something that something that got lost there. And when Constellation, at part of that barrel aging warehouse that they shut down, they shut down a some some of the little satellite tap rooms that they had. And I'm like, why are you doing that? That still gives that consumer an option to go in and connect with someone. It may not be the CEO of the company or the head brewer. But the, if they make that connection where that's their local watering hole, you're gaining that brand loyalty and a higher margin. Mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing is, I, like I said, I want to kind of my kind of point was is that there is an inherent contradiction, and I think there's we're going to see some more and more conflict. I think AB InBev is oddly doing it better, but they are until they aren't. They are good point. Yes. So, well, we'll leave it at that. Um, and uh, Ballast Point, uh, good luck. <laughs> Tyler. Jumping on over. Fun little story that I had found uh, about Heineken actually incorporating 3D printing uh, to use to make on-demand brewery parts for, like, bottling lines, uh, you know, different pieces of equipment. If something breaks, they don't have to order the part, wait for it to ship, or pay an arm and a leg to get it there the next day, they can bust out the 3D printer. So they partnered with uh, Ultimaker 3D printers uh, to make uh, tools and machine parts for its brewery in Selville, Spain. So hasn't hit over here yet. But just coming from the brewery side of things, I saw that and I was like, you know, that would be awesome if you know, working at a small brewery, I know there's been times where we're like, fuck, we need this, or shit, this is starting to fail, we better order this now before it actually goes out, uh, or I wish I had a tool to do this, is having access to a 3D printer would give the brewers or sellermen just that much more flexibility to play around with it and not, and you wouldn't have that downtime. Uh, 
at our brewery, we've been working. Uh, we had a little piece on our labeler bust a couple weeks ago, so we ended up having to borrow someone's labeler to bottle a batch, and then uh, we had a we finally got the replacement parts in. And if we wouldn't have had that labeler that we were able to borrow, we would have ran out of bottles. <laughs> that would have sucked. Yes, that would have sucked hard. And our brewer about threw the labeler across the brewery because all these parts are fucking tiny. <laughs> I'm sorry I missed that. <laughs> no. no, you aren't. <laughs> no, I kind of want to see that. I know, I know your brewer, and I, I, I don't want to be in the middle of it, but I want to be at the bar drinking a pint just watching. Yeah. With some popcorn. Because, <laughs> yeah, it took one of the screws you had to undo is backed up against a angled piece of metal, so you can't get a screwdriver in there. You had... And it's a star uh, bit screw. Oh, those are just Satan's asshole right there. And so you can't get an Allen wrench version of that with the elbow to stick in there and actually get. So we had to go buy the long drill bit of it, cut it down to a size that we could get into that spot, and then he had to use his fingers to loosen it and tighten it. (laughs) You know what I always find really cool about the craft beer industry is this melding of old tradition and new. And I like the fact that this three D printing is finding its place, and hopefully will, as you say, become cheap enough that most, if not if not most small breweries can afford one, then at least a the, couple of them can. Yeah, like the regional players that you know have five six state distribution can go do this because their canning line blew out of bearing. So let's three D print another one up. That's just kind of cool. I just I really like that there's a melding of tradition that always I've always find charming because you you run into this, this high tech shit. Um, you know, I was reading, I got sidetracked when I was researching stuff for uh, for this episode about genetic testing on um, a yeast with a certain genome that will fuck everything up. Um, that's a whole new thing, but uh, yeah, I just I, I kind of dig that. It's what makes this yeah, industry fun and the, interesting. Why buy it when I can build it? Exactly, which is the heart of craft beer. It's the heart of homebrew. It's where this yeah. industry started. Was is with the homebrewer who you know, craft homebrew en- engineering is a thing of beauty. I have this giant cooler. Let's make it a mash tun. I use a spoon as kind of a holder for a tube at one point in time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have at certain points. A t- I have at certain points used a thermos as a mash tun. Um, I still use coolers as a mash tun. I had to use a bucket as a hot liquor tank one time. Um, I've had to. Uh, I, I've had to use my. Ba- of course, this is nothing new, but a bathtub as a uh, as, as a means of chilling. Uh huh. But all, we've all been there. I mean, the owner of Oscar Blues, his Dale's Pale Ale, he brewed in his college bathtub. So <laughs> I'm saying is that. Yes, there is definitely a do-it-yourself spirit that is... So I think if someone could develop and make this easy, more easily accessible, it'd be a hit among craft brewers. Well, so. look forward to that. I'm, that'll, be, that'll be awesome. Yeah. What do we got up next? Idaho is fucking weird news now. Um, oh, boy. So we try to focus on trends and forces on the national level, but sometimes, every once in a while... Something comes around in my home state that gives me a little whiskey tango foxtrot moment. And such a thing actually happened. Uh, first of all, I want to give a shout out to uh, a friend of the show, Josh, who uh, sent, me this, uh, sent me this article. Uh, thank you, Josh, for turning me on to this. Um, this actually comes from 
our own professional hipster Michael Deeds, who, yes, that expression that Tyler is making, you can't see it, but just imagine someone a little bit in pain, but also amused. Like, that, that like, oh, it hurts, but it's also funny. This comes from Michael Deeds of the Idaho Statesman. So, here's the thing. AskMen.com uh, ran a survey last month to find out what men's favorite beer in every state was. And uh, we've actually got the article on our Twitter feed. Again, it's at AllBeer1. Um, and it has a map, which basically looks like you'd, like you, what you'd expect. Uh, Budweiser has a hold over most of the country, with pockets of Coors Light resistance in the upper Midwest and the Southwest. Uh, Corona has a foothold in the... Uh, Fucking Colorado! <laughs> How?! <laughs> Colorado, but also the classically sunny spots for whatever reason. Oklahoma. See, now you say Colorado. I was like Oklahoma and Stella. That's where Coors is from, though. <laughs> <laughs> Oklahoma is all about Stella for some reason. And Montana. And Montana. But Stella is kind of like oddly like they're just mm-hmm. randomly placed. Um, New York kind of makes sense, but other places didn't. Um, West Virginia. God love them. Went for Yingling. Fuck yeah. Let's go West Virginia. Which was, that's, that phrase has never been uttered anywhere ever except for maybe West Virginia. I am proud of them right now. Good on ya. Um, that was actually a write-in vote, which I'll get into in a second, but um, Pabst has a hold on the hipster Northwest and South Carolina, which also, you know, they're the hipster. And then there's Idaho. <laughs> oh, this hurts, man. Um, by a 20th... Chosen by 20, 23% of the population, the most popular beer in Idaho is... Tyler, would you like to... No. Uh, <laughs> it's Mike's Hard Lemonade. Now, Michael Deeds, in this article, um, and I've had that posted, he basically went on a rant where he told the men of Idaho to hand in your man card uh, for being the spot on the map where Mike's had its hold. But um, And it's not even a fucking beer. It's not. But I thought about it for a while, and um, I, th- I came up with a more uplifting uh, reason why this might be. Well, before you get into that, the questions I have, just coming from my marketing degree, uh, I had to do a class where we actually had to design a survey, send it out, and we were working with a local nonprofit. Um, design the survey, send it out, analyze the results, make sure we had a big enough sample size do everything and then actually present it back to that nonprofit. My my whole questions with it is, what was the sample size? Uh, did they make sure that they covered a big enough swath to cover you know the general population, not just a select group? Where are they getting this these people from, and how many did not respond? So the answer to your question is is that. The survey comes from people who visit askmen.com. So they're right so right away you have a biased sampling. Uh-huh. So you got that. And number two, it wasn't it was multiple choice. Or at least I'm led to believe that because they specified that West Virginia's selection of Yingling was a write-in vote. Which makes it uh, that makes sense because in that when we were designing our survey you never, unless you wanted to spend 10 hours analyzing each fucking response, you didn't leave an open-ended question. You It was multiple choice. So that way you could 
Just be like, okay, computer, sort it. How many did this? How many did this? How many did this? Exactly. And so, um, and Yingling there won by um, a margin of like, I want to say 25% of the vote. Um, and the rest was rest of it was multiple choice, which, so, you know, they ask men, basically declare today, oh, craft beer is, you know, what for all the, the noise it's making is, is really nothing because people still still drinking Budweiser, never mind that there's probably no craft beer on their shitty list. Or they got a nice cut from could be, a big could corporation. Be. And that's exactly why I started thinking about this in a different way, because Idaho, craft beer has taken hold. Maybe even more than in the hipster states of Oregon and Washington, who like to fly the flag of craft beer, but ultimately go back to their fucking Paps Blue Ribbon. If you've got a bunch of people who are writing in Sockeye Dagger Falls, for example, which is one of the most popular beers here in Idaho, um, or any other, uh, any other, you're you're going to splinter the market. But here's the thing: people who like beer in this state will write in a ton of different beers, but people who like their sugar booze, right, there's only yeah. a couple of things that they're you're not going to split that market as, as as easily. So I look at this as kind of an encouraging thing, unlike Michael Deeds, who's a bit of a douchebag. Turn in your man card. Jeremy said that, not me. <laughs> I he kind of. Maybe a little bit. I don't know. I'm sorry. Sorry, Michael Deeds. No, I'm not really. Um, no, I, I look at it as kind of encouraging because it means that the, the consensus for beer, and I have no basis for this, but then again, neither does askmen.com, so we're going to go ahead and riff on this. Yeah, because... unless they post the results of here's who voted for what. Exactly. So... What that means, so what I'm going to go ahead and interpret from this, and this is what I choose to interpret because that's how we're going to do this today, is that that means... Fox News style, what we think goes. God damn it, right. We're, you know what, this this is fucking Idaho, man. There are 48 states in the goddamn union that recognize the federal government as a sovereign governing party, and Idaho is not among them, and surely northern Idaho is not. <laughs> and you know that more than me. <laughs> that's why I was surprised when Montana had Stella. We... We are the state where men live in compounds and kill deer with their fucking face. Mike's is 23% because 22% was whatever fuck cousin Fricky is brewing his goddamn shed right now. Because <laughs> moonshine wasn't an option. It, you know what? It was. I'm sure they wrote it in. You can't box us in. When the rest of the country yings, we hang out with our yang out, motherfucker. <laughs> and maybe, just maybe... You got this big burly lumberjack looking motherfucker who digs on something sweet at the end of their shift. You know, they pull trees out of their roots or whatever the fuck they're doing up there. And at the end of the day, they want a Mike's. And you start to laugh, but you stop because he's six foot, a fucking thousand, five hundred pounds, and he will Conan your goddamn ass. That's usually like Milwaukee's <laughs> best ice or Keystone. But, but would you argue with that man who's drinking a Mike's? No, yes. you would. Oh, would you? <laughs> yes. Yeah, you have a death wish. <laughs> And I grew up up there. So. You grew up in Northern Idaho, so you probably get a pass. And don't forget, this survey was only men. If Idaho women could weigh in, then the winner would be a burn mark around Budweiser with a crudely drawn middle finger right in the middle. <laughs> Idaho men have to be tough because our women are goddamn insane. And you know what? They drink a lot of beer, so maybe the reason that there's so much uh, Mike's Heart Lemonade is because that's all that's left when the women come in and drink all of our goddamn beer. The Ask Men article ended with, so if you're going to a barbecue in uh, Idaho, make sure to bring the Mike's Heart Lemonade. Well, fuck you, AskMen.com, and fuck you, Michael Deeds. I look at this as a good thing, and God God damn you, Idaho rules. The only thing I'm going to say is they probably didn't use the correct surveying methods. That's why there's a little... 
discombobulated in Idaho, but I do think Idaho enjoys more craft beer. I, I want to know the options they gave everyone. There's questions I have, but I like your argument. Really fun, really passionate. Nice job, Jeremy. That's going to be the truth for us until uh, I'm proven otherwise. Askmen.com, release your results and prove me wrong. Or don't. I, I just like, I, it was an excuse for me to write that rant, and I feel better about myself having done that. It looks like 40 <laughs> pounds of Mike's Hard Lemonade just got lifted off Jeremy's shoulder. <laughs> you know what? I mean, it was weird to craft a rant defending Mike's Hard Lemonade, but now that it's but done... But you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of did. I did resist the urge to bring Mike's Hard Lemonade for us to chug. Uh, no. I would have told you to fuck off. I'm done. That's, uh, that's the reason I didn't. You more said it was everyone picked so many other things that there was a few people that picked this that just made it succeed. That's true. That's true. I mean, you can't... Look, Idaho is Idaho, motherfucker. We're, we're strange people. As evidenced by the fact that you and I sit here every week and drunkenly discuss craft beer and shout out to the people in south america and turkey that listen to this <laughs> that's true yeah uh there's we got a listener in turkey so uh thank you i uh enjoy a beer um tyler do you have anything to add no i think we're good we've had our rants for tonight <laughs> this was I, this was a rant heavy episode but uh uh you know what i feel better tyler you feel better yep well, okay. Well, this has been It's All Beer. Um, music was uh, Retro Future Dirty by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Um, and as always, you can reach us by Twitter or Facebook at It's All Beer um, or at uh, email at It's All Beer at gmail.com. Uh, keep the uh, suggestions coming in. We've gotten a lot of uh, good ones over the past couple of weeks. So if you run across a story that uh, you want us to cover, um, send it in. We'll probably do it because uh, this, this one caught me at a time when uh when i was really looking for something and uh again thank you josh that was a lot of fun <laughs> um and also don't forget to rate us on uh, itunes stitcher or wherever you get your podcast um i think that rant alone was worth five stars but six but they don't allow that but we're in fucking idaho give you know six what, you know what pencil in a six star on your iphone don't worry that those scratches will go away all right that's all in the comment leave another star <laughs> That's alright, so I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Patrick Zimmerman. Go have a beer. Enjoy.